0: This is Story Quest, brand new stories you'll want to hear again and again.
1: Vultures are circling over Tigeropolis, and Tala is so glad to see them. Who needs drones, eh? The vultures make a super surveillance squad against the poachers. Uncle Raj agrees. Yes, that was a brilliant idea of yours, Tala. Their bird's eye view extends around six miles from up there. Bittu shields his eyes from the sun, watching them. And giving them tiny mirrors so they can flash warning messages to us. He says, high-fiving his sister. So, with our spies in the skies and the monkeys monitoring any ground movements, I think our early warning systems should work well. Yes, says Tala. Let's hope so. Raj makes his final inspection of the old fort. Right. I think we are as ready as we'll ever be. All we need now is the poachers to take the bait. Meanwhile, at her computer, Matti clicks on the Poachers Weekly website and opens a photo spread she's posted. Well, my photo of Uncle Raj doing his morning exercises on the steps of the Windcatcher's Audience Hall should lure those beastly poachers. Sometime later, Bitu spots a flash of light from the sky. It's a signal! The vultures have spotted poachers. Raj is immediately alerted in his command center on top of one of the watchtowers. It's showtime, he growls. With a team paw shake for luck, Tala, Bittu, Matti and Vijay move off to their agreed positions to wait further signals. Be ready. Remember, timing is key. Ten minutes later, an old red jeep draws up near the main gate and four fearsome poachers climb out. They edge cautiously forward on foot, rifles at the ready, through the entrance arch and into a dimly lit stone chamber. Squinting in the gloom, they can just about make out an orange and black striped creature slinking away from them, down a corridor. Raghu, the gang leader, raises a hand, quickly realizing that taking a shot now is too risky. A stray bullet could ricochet anywhere. He hand gestures for his gang to follow him. Unwittingly, after a giant cuddly toy that Matti had won at the annual fair a few years earlier, Vijay's got it tied to Bittu's old skateboard, and he's using it to lure the poachers forward and outside into the courtyard. The poachers emerge into the daylight, dazzled by the intensity of the midday sun. Ah, I can't see a thing! yells Raghu. Straight away, four highly trained langur monkeys hurl themselves headfirst off the battlements. The monkeys dive onto the startled poachers and grab their rifles, rebounding on bungee cords to rip them away. The monkeys flip celebratory somersaults, landing triumphantly back on top of the wall, brandishing their trophies. Confiscated weapons. Bravo, cries Mati. Perfect tense all around. And down in the courtyard, I don't know. Raghu snaps. Not good. No cover. You fools lost your rifles and now we are trapped and under attack. And what's that awful pong? Savita sniffs. Raghu, is it you? It's elephant poo. What? They must have a catapult set up somewhere. Let's get out of here. Just then, a gate in front of them swings open. As elephant poo continues to rain down on them, the poachers are forced to stumble forwards through the gateway into the next courtyard. Tala glances out from the elephant stables towards the watchtower where Raj is carefully coordinating the operation. Closer, closer... He raises a paw, then drops it. Tala sees the signal now! Four high-pressure jets of water shoot across the courtyard, each hitting a poacher right in the chest, knocking them off their feet. The elephants reload, siphoning up water as quickly as they can, firing water again and again at the group as they lie sprawling on the ground. Drenched and scrabbling about an elephant pool, Raghu still tries to find an escape. Ha! Some dumbos left the gate open. Run for your lives! Raghu makes a run for it with his gang following behind. Through the gateway and... Oh! Blast! Help me up, will you useless lot! What's that trip me up? Some old rope? Nope! Savita replies. Oh no! Oh no! Too late! The poachers realize that they are standing in the middle of a rapidly tightening giant net. Whoosh! In a second, four soggy, smelly poachers find themselves dangling helplessly in midair. In the gatehouse, Pitu turns to the little elephant who's hauled the ropes to tighten the trap. Well done, Ishan! It's not every day we net a gang of poachers. Raj climbs down from the tower, beaming with pride. What teamwork! Well done, everybody! It's been a tough battle, but in beating the poachers, Tigeropolis is finally saved. The jubilant tigers huddle together for a group hug. Uncle Raj looks up at the poachers. I think we we'll leave it to the forest guards to decide what to do with our catch of the day. Well, I think it's time for a celebration, smiles Tana. Come on, let's go home. Sweet home, adds Mutti. Yeah, pooey, Bittu crinkles his nose. Operating the catapult was fun, but even I want a bath after that. <laughs> <laughs> This is a Bell Media production narrated by Ashwika Kapoor. Written by R.D. Dixtra. Story editor Angela Salt, Supported by the Audio Content Fund.
0: And now the last of our Tigeropolis eco-features. Today, it's all about plastic in our oceans. And we're with filmmaker Jo Ruxton. Her Netflix film is credited by Sir David Attenborough as first alerting the world to the issue. She's talking to the children at Alexandra Primary in Hounslow, West London. I worked at the BBC and we were always making documentaries that made the oceans look as if they were clean and and full of fish and that everything was fine. And that wasn't really what we were seeing. Yes, we were in some incredible places, but often we were having to film around things like plastic in the ocean or plastic on the beach. And I felt that if we didn't tell the truth, then people would think that it was okay to keep throwing our waste into the ocean and taking all the fish out from it. So I decided to leave to make my own film called The Plastic Ocean. It took me eight years to make it. And during that time, we went around the world, including the centres of Three Oceans, to see how plastic was affecting it and the wildlife in it.
1: What inspired you to do what you are doing?
0: I had a very interesting childhood because my Dad was in the Royal Air Force, so we moved around a lot. And as a result of that, I've actually lived on six different islands in my life. So I've always been surrounded by water. I love swimming. I love snorkeling. So the islands and the wildlife have always been very much in my life. What type of strategies can we do to save our oceans? The best thing we can do to protect our ocean is to understand how important it is as a life support system for all of us. Once we understand that the ocean provides every second breath we take and absorbs much of the carbon dioxide we produce, then we'll start to respect it and everything will change. What is your future plans to stop plastic ending up in the oceans? My future plan is to tell as many people as possible why plastic shouldn't be there. And it's like a big jigsaw puzzle. We need everybody to understand, particularly young people, because your voices are so powerful. We need governments to change the law. We need the producers of plastic to stop making silly things. Plastic is great for medicine. Uh, Plastic saves nature many times, but single-use plastic is the biggest cause of damage to our ocean. And There are so many ways that we can stop it reaching there just by understanding what the problem is. What's one of the main reasons
1: that's affecting the ocean, causing it
0: to pollute? Well, I have chosen plastic to tell my first story because I felt that it's something in everybody's lives. It's affecting all our oceans, and it's simply because we think plastic is disposable. When you understand that plastic was designed to never go away, it seems crazy that we ever decided to make items out of it that we use just once and throw away. What was the first thing that you did to help protect the ocean? Probably seeing plastic waste underwater. And when I lived in Hong Kong, we, we, had, we had more plastic in the waters around Hong Kong than I could see in, in other places I'd lived. And whenever I went diving there, I had a a big bag made out of a net, which I would clip onto my weight belt. And just whenever I saw plastic, I would put it in there. Um, We often used to find abandoned fishing nets with live fish stuck in them. So we'd use our knives to cut the net away and let the fish out. And then we would bring the net back with us to the boat. So um, I think it's when you see it, you feel compelled to do something. Children like us can do to help? Oh my goodness. First of all, know how powerful you can be. So understand that your voice, your actions can be very powerful. And certainly, if you go out with the person that's doing the shopping in your family, just say, No liquid soap. If you're buying butter, buy it wrapped in paper. We don't need another plastic butter dish. And maybe think of some ideas between you of how you can change what's coming into your house because all the plastic that comes in has to go somewhere what would happen to the human population if we don't stop pollution well first of all we're going to stop it so i think the human population is going to be fine because i meet children like you and you're going to be the next group of adults and an informed population is one that can help protect the whole planet this
1: is a bell media production for the audio content fund
0: Unfortunately, that's all from Tigeropolis for now, but if you head to funkidslive.com, you can hear loads of other podcasts, including StoryQuest, a brand new story recorded every week, written by the bright brains here at Fun Kids and voiced by Fun Kids presenters. Find out more at funkidslive.com. Thanks for coming on a Story Quest with us. If you like that story, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode.